When you're acting as your doodle's teacher during training, do you know their learning style? Take our exclusive fun and free quiz to find out at thedoodlepro.com slash learning and make training more fun and successful. You had talked in the beginning of your book about you seeing recall or a dog coming when they're called as a life-saving skill. I would love to hear more how you came to that conclusion. Experience, really. We can say, gosh, if your dog won't come back to you, it can save them from many things. But the first time I recalled a dog to me where I thought their life could be in danger was my Aussie Gibson. And he was in the tall brush and I was just sure there was a snake. I didn't know if the snake was poisonous or not, but I didn't care. I, you right. know, I didn't want to wait to find out. Yeah. And my recall took him right out of that brush and right back to me. Doodle breed dogs are easy to love, but can be challenging to parent. I'm doodle expert Corinne Gearhart, also known as the Doodle Pro, and I'm here to help doodle parents have a more fulfilling and rewarding experience with their doodles. No one has professionally worked with as many different doodle breeds or has more experience with doodles than I have, and I love to share my expertise in a fun, compassionate, and non-judgmental way. From my years of work and education in the pet care and dog training industry, I have an incredible network of skilled training, grooming, and veterinary professionals to share their knowledge with you and give you the doodle-specific answers you're looking for. I hope you enjoy today's episode as I help you parent your doodle like a pro. I want to give a shout out to one of our listeners who took a minute to share a review on Apple Podcasts. This is what Seattle Dog Mom shared on her Apple Podcast review. The only dog training podcast that gets and loves doodles. I binge dog training podcasts, and this is the only one that clearly knows her stuff while also knowing doodles. You can tell she handpicks the best in the field as guests to share their knowledge with doodle families too. My only critique is I have to wait a whole week for the next episode. Thank you, Seattle Dog Mom. I can't tell you how much reviews like yours mean. If you'd like a shout out, please take a minute to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your streaming service, and this will tell the streaming services to share our podcast and doodle a loving message with more people. Now, let's talk about teaching your dog to come when you call with top trainer and author of the book, The Rocket Recall, Lisa Lyle Wagner. Our interview was so helpful, I couldn't end it early just because of time. So this will be a two-part interview. Today, Lisa will answer frequently asked questions and concerns about teaching your dog to come and share what the science shows is the most humane and effective method. Next week, she'll walk us through her 12 steps of rocket recall so you can have a solid foundation to dive in. This is going to be a great episode. Hi, Doodle parents. I am so excited about our guest today. Lisa Lyle Wagner is a pro trainer. He is here to talk about this book, Rocket Recall, that she wrote, and I love it. So... For those watching on video, you could, I don't know if you could see all of my highlights. This is a passion of mine. I agree that it's a life-saving 
skill for all of our dogs to have. Thank you so much. for First of all, thank you for having me and thank you for providing this wonderful forum for your listeners to learn. I never meant to be a dog trainer and it was the death of a dog who propelled me into dog training. And once I started learning about the science of training and started understanding dog body language, I was hooked. And I, it was just a logical step for me to move in that way. Over the years, I've gained additional education, additional certifications. My husband and I, he's a professional trainer as well. We run Coldness College. We have a group of trainers who also provide services to our clients, and it's all virtual these days. Our clients can be with us anywhere. I'm a certified separation anxiety trainer Mm -hmm. as well. I have that specialty And we have just a big spot in our heart for anxious dogs with separation anxiety and all dogs who want to learn more, whose guardians want them to learn more about how to live peaceably in our weird human world. And I do think our world can be odd for dogs Mm -hmm. if we don't help them learn to live within it. And Lisa, I must say that you're being quite modest. If she says that she's done some additional training, if there's a certification, she's got it and is the faculty on it. So we are just honored to have you with us. And for you to want to care for separation anxiety pups and target them particularly is amazing because a lot of trainers have to refer that out. It isn't everybody's wheelhouse. It's really a well-honed technique that requires a lot of patience and empathy. And I'm really grateful that you and your team really take that challenge on to create more comfortable lives. Thank you. Thank you. That condition in a dog really is a welfare issue mm-hmm. the dog and the family that lives with the dog. So, yes. Yeah. And we talked a little bit before we started, but Lisa's got a new puppy, which I've enjoyed watching online. I don't want to put you on the spot, but if you're able to show your right now. Oh, sure. sure. I just love that. So for those listening, she's got her Aussie all stretched out on his back, legs sprawled, and he's in his crate and he's completely relaxed and asleep and the door is open. And to me, that is an example of you using patience and a training plan to get your dog to want to do what you need to have a cohesive life together and how happy your puppy is in that crate. And they don't start there. They do not start there. And we're not fully crate trained yet. He's comfortable with the door closed for a certain period of time, Yeah, but I'm not rushing it. There's no reason to rush it. I want him to develop a true love and enjoyment for that crate. And so, yes, he entered on his own, decided to lay down there. I could tell he was sleepy. So I didn't reinforce him. I didn't drop any food this time when he went in because I didn't want to jazz him up with yeah. you know, even some low value reinforcers. And he just tipped over and went to sleep. So it makes me very happy to know that he's comfortable in it. Yes. And that is creating such a wonderful foundation for where you want him to get to, which is what I saw throughout this book. For those who are dog science nerds or just like to understand the why, what I found really interesting and unusual about your book is you broke down the whys and the science first of why we're going to do the step-by-step approach to teach Rocket Recall before you jumped into the steps. I can imagine a lot of readers just want to skip ahead and get to the steps to fast forward, just toss them in the crate with a Kong and close the door. So can you tell me why you chose to structure it that way? 
Thank you so much for recognizing and for embracing that. I think it's really important for anyone who wants to train their dog to learn a bit about training and behavior concept mm-hmm. because they are the why of why things work. And they're also key to you, the learner, in understanding why something doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And so they help you problem solve issues, training issues that occur that are going to occur when you hit them. It can, if you understand those whys, it's, oh, okay. Now I understand. I went too fast. I added distractions too soon. No problem. I'll just back up to where my dog was last successful and start again. So yes, that's why I included them. And I did my best to include them in a way that they were easily understandable by any reader. Yes. Trainers and and companion dog guardians alike. I think you did that successfully. I have studied Karen Pryor's clicker work. I am studying under Gene Donaldson's Academy right now. And these could be heavy concepts. So if you are not a dog trainer, this is a nice walkthrough of the whys and the strategies and the science behind it without feeling too burdensome. So kudos to that because that's hard to do. I don't want to make eyes glaze over. It's easy when I'm learning something, trying to learn something new and it gets a little bit too deep or too Mm -hmm. jargony too fast. It's like, it's hard to learn. Yes. So yes, I'm. thank you. I'm glad you found it that way. My pleasure. Did I tell you guys I was really excited about this book? I really enjoy it. You had talked in the beginning of your book about you seeing recall or a dog coming when they're called as a life-saving skill. I would love to hear more how you came to that conclusion. Experience, really. We can say, gosh, if your dog won't come back to you, it can save them from many things. But the first time I recalled a dog to me where I thought their life could be in danger was my Aussie Gibson, and he was in the tall brush, and I was just sure there was a snake. I didn't know if the snake was poisonous or not, but I didn't care. I I didn't want to wait to find out. And my recall took him right out of that brush and right back to me. So that was the first example. And then over the years at our on our property, away from deer or away from other animals, but just about five months ago, can't remember the exact situation. I think Brad had just come home and the gate to the house was open. We live out in the country, so the gate to the road was open. We live on a mm-hmm. road. It's not heavily trafficked. But I heard Brad say, Lisa, the dogs are out. And so I panicked. I ran out the back of the house. The dogs could not see me. And I said my recall cue, yelled it in as loud a voice I could. And in about five seconds, they were back to me. And so Kaylee, who is now no longer with us, but she's in my book, she was very environmentally centered. So Mm -hmm. if there was a prey, she was going to be on that scent. I was thrilled that she turned around and returned on a dime to me. So that was a life-saving experience for me. My book hadn't been out for a couple of weeks and I received a Facebook message from someone that said, my brother bought me this book and I read it and I started using your techniques. I went for a walk with my dog yesterday, put him in his harness and we went off through the neighborhood. I Mm -hmm. hadn't hooked the harness fully and he came out of his harness and started trotting off. and your book and your my recall cue, he came back to me. He said, uh, I, I, you probably saved his life. You just don't get better feedback than that. Gosh, 
She's not a trainer. She had just started using the protocol, but just those few weeks, she had already developed such a reinforcement history with her dog that he wanted to return to her when called. And what I love about your step-by-step strategy, the relationship with the dog guardian or the dog parent is stronger than before you started. So not only does it not damage it, but you're reinforcing your connection with your dog, which I really love. Yeah, I'm very happy that even with the grief, I'm still feeling with the loss Mm -hmm. of Kaylee, which is deep. Yes. And I won't talk much about it or I'll cry. I have a new puppy and I'm thankful that I'm able to be present enough, even with the grief, to be able Mm -hmm. to witness how our bond is growing. Yeah. To see our relationship change over these five weeks we've been together, his bond with me has grown and my bond with him has grown. And we both want to be together now. It's mm. just so beautiful. That is wonderful. And he would never replace her. Never, uh, ever. No, never. never. No. There will always be that spot for her yes. and all the dogs we've been blessed to love and work with. Yes. In our membership, the Doodle Pro Society, we just did a module on using treats effectively with our doodles and identifying high, medium, and low value treats. I'm glad that you like that. So you have a really great outline in one of the chapters of the book about identifying what are, I forget the word that you used for it, not triggers, but what are the things that entice your dog and then matching them up with the appropriate value. Yes, absolutely. It's important for us to understand how their dog sees their world. So if there are things that your dog finds distracting, and that could be anywhere from a leaf blowing in the wind to a squirrel, then it's important to find a reinforcer, something that they will work for in that environment. And so you pair the low value distractions with the low value reinforcers. And I'm learning that all again with Keaton. He's distracted by different things than Kaylee was. Yes. And wow, are his food choices and his food preferences different than hers? What works for one dog doesn't necessarily work for another, just like people. Yeah. It's in my book. I think I talk about this. I like cottage cheese and I like broccoli and you could pay me for with those two foods. But Brad, my husband, cottage cheese, you could chase him out of the country with a spoonful of cottage cheese. Understanding what distracts your dog and what will work as a reinforcer in front of that distraction is really important. It helps you set your dog up for success. So training will help you reach your goals. Sit and stay right there. We'll be back right after this quick break. Dog's body language is a foreign language to us humans. Are you wondering how fluent you are? Take our free quiz at thedoodlepro.com slash body and find out how fluent you are in reading dog's body language. Do you want your doodle to listen the first time? When we're asking difficult things of our doodles, we need to pay them accordingly. We've had hundreds of doodles taste test different treats and we've got a great list of their favorites. Go to thedoodlepro.com backslash treat freebie for our free list of Doodle's favorite treats so you can get your Doodle to listen the first time. I work with hundreds of Doodles one-on-one 
And I've borrowed this from other trainers, of course, but the softer and stinkier uh, is usually where I start and seeing what is motivating for them. With Keaton and your last dog, can you give us a couple examples of their highest value treats? Yes, I sure can. For Kaylee, she was more food motivated really than Keaton is. A wider range of things would work for her. For her, salmon, dried salmon treats worked really well. Nice. For Keaton, I've learned at least top of the ladder right now with all the different things I've tried is a product made by Munster Milling, Munster freeze dried meatballs. Ooh, I, I just tried learned about yet. them. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know them. One of my Facebook friends posts, she does a lot of nose work with her dog and yeah. she posted, she just got a big shipment in. It's like, I want to know what those are. I ordered them. He thinks they are just fine. Oh. So, yeah, they're a little big for him right now. Mm-hmm. I have to cut them up and they're a little crumbly, so they're not that easy to handle. But yes, they're made of 100% beef organs. So pretty. I find if it's spot. really stinky and like a really desirable food, being dehydrated, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, that yeah. part doesn't have to be soft if it's really got those smells and tastes. And for it. Kaylee, rabbit zooks worked. Rabbits mm-hmm. were a big distraction for her. So <laughs> zooks, rabbit flavor, were one of her favorites. And she was a highly distracted dog for sure. What do you tell your students when they bring home a new puppy and they're worried about their dog getting an upset stomach with using treats for training? Very good question. Um, I like to use, if I can, inside, I like to use my dog's kibble. Mm -hmm. If your dog will work for kibble inside, there's no reason not to use that. I have done that with Keaton and he will work for kibble for inside work. Outside, I need something a little higher value. So I try to feed less fatty treats if I can. And though I have used some hot dogs and Vienna sausage with him outside, but I try to minimize the use of those. And then I usually add at the end of the day or a couple times throughout the day, some canned pumpkin, just a teaspoon, a couple teaspoons or a tablespoonful that help keep their stools firm versus runny. Perfect. And I jumped ahead a little bit. Did I mention I'm excited about this book? I jumped ahead a little talking about different variety of treats, but I'd love for you to share with our listeners what role treats and reinforcements with food play when teaching a rocket recall. I love that you use the word reinforcement because the food we use in training really is used as a reinforcer. So if food is used correctly in training, We're going to be reinforcing adding the food after a behavior has occurred. Mm -hmm. So an analogy is engineers reinforce concrete to make it stronger. And so we want to reinforce our dog's behavior by the use of adding food to it. When Mm -hmm. something is reinforced, the behavior gets stronger. And that's what we want. Food comes after the behavior occurs, not before. Now, with that said... There are certain things we ask our dogs to do or we invite them to do or help them learn to do by luring them. So we are using a food lure to move them in such a way to elicit a specific behavior. But then we fade that food and are only using the hand prompt. And then the food is delivered after the behavior occurs. So in what Lisa's talking about, people could use a something stinky treat above a puppy's nose to lure them into a sit and then you switch Mm -hmm. into the hand signal and then you could even go into just verbal but with recall it's not look at the bone I have correct and then asking for them to come to you because 
that can break down the pattern of you being able to use a verbal recall cue. Without a doubt. Absolutely. And I think one of the reasons the protocol that I've put together, I don't think I created any of this. I just put it together. I've learned all these things over my 17 years of being a professional dog trainer. And I've organized it in such a way that it's progressive and systematic. So we gain success along the way to the ultimate turn on Mm -hmm. a diamond, return to you, return to me. But because I start with the check-in game, which is waiting for your dog to offer a a look to you. And then you're reinforcing that. We start Mm -hmm. from the very beginning of the food coming after the behavior. There is no lure. Yes. And so that offered check-in becomes very reinforcing to your dog because they've been reinforced for turning and looking at you. Mm -hmm. Happened to me this morning, Keaton, he's learned to love the creek outside our home which is wonderful, but it's also outside our home and he gets muddy. Yes. And so I just let him run up and down the creek and he ran up into the brush and he was just sitting up there looking at me. And I didn't call him because it was a very high distraction environment for him. I just waited to see what he would do. And he eventually came out of the brush and came to me. And so I reinforced it. Mm -hmm. Like, good job, buddy. You came from that highly distracting environment to me. I fed him. I happened to have hot dogs on me that moment. Winner. I nice. fed, him, fed him a couple of hot dogs and then released him to go back and play in the creek, mm-hmm. which is another one of my strategies when I call the, which I call the recall and release game. And in your step-by-step, you are teaching them to come before you're adding the cue. And that's an excellent example of you didn't call him to you and then reinforce. He's learning mm-hmm. that's a desired behavior and then you'll add the cue onto Mm -hmm. it. I totally am on board with that strategy. A lot of people worry that in using treats to reinforce behavior, that they're bribing their dog. And sometimes that can sound like, I want them to do it because they know they should, or I want them to do it to please me. I'm their owner, or I'm worried they'll only listen if they know I have a treat. So what are your thoughts for those sorts of objections to this method of training? First of all, again, a bribe is something given ahead of time. We're not giving the food ahead of time. We're giving it afterwards. And dogs will do what works for them, just like people do. I can say all day, my dog ought to do this. Yeah, maybe my friend ought to do that too, but she didn't. think that if people understand that food is a tool to help create a behavior that's stronger and that over time, because of the relationship that's built and the bond that's built, you can start randomly reinforcing, maybe not with food, but with something else of value to the dog. So that could be toys, that could be play. If you're using food to reinforce and you're also praising your dog at the same time, then that praise takes on value because it's been paired with food. And for low value behaviors, I might just use praise. Let me say this. I am always going to say thank you to my dog in some way for the things they do. Whether it's, hey, good boy, that's awesome. Or a little pet under the chin if your dog likes hands-on praise. There's no reason not to always recognize the wonderful choices our dogs make throughout the day. And we're not robots that only dispense praise to our dogs and loving words and pets when they've obeyed. So that would be really hard to not say, who's a good boy? 
when yeah. they come up and give you a snuggle and they come by your side and holding back those pets. If you were to hold back all forms of praise and affection, because that's their only reinforcement, that wouldn't, to me, wouldn't be a very rewarding relationship. That I exactly. It's about. just not, it's a relationship that has no nurturing to it. And I think if we respond politely and thank each other, I respond, I've been married to Brad and I've been married almost 38 years now. So we've been hanging out together just a few years. Yes. But, and we love being together. And if he does, if he hands me a glass of water, if I'm thirsty, I'm not going to ignore that. I'm going to say, thanks. Gosh, that was really nice of you. I really yes. appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Don't ignore behaviors that you like. Reinforce behaviors that you like with people, please. And also with your dogs. A lot of people who agree that teaching a solid recall is a life-saving skill and that they agree that it's really important to them. A lot have been told that you must use a shock collar, also known as an e-collar, to guarantee that your dog is going to come back to you. And that's the only effective method to teach a rock-solid recall. What are your thoughts on that opinion? First of all, I absolutely disagree with that because I see the strength of the recall in my dogs that have been trained without a shock collar. So let's talk first about something that is unpleasant to the dog. Mm -hmm. And so if we think about shock, I don't care how low level somebody says that shock is to the dog's neck. The collar was not designed to be pleasant, right? Mm -hmm. So the dog is working to avoid something versus working to attain something. So a dog who is reinforced with something that they find value, valuable, they will go above and beyond to excel to get that reinforcer. Mm -hmm. But a dog who's trained with aversives will do just enough not to receive whatever that aversive is. So I want a dog who wants to work with me and strive to do something that they're going to be reinforced for. I think one of the things that I've heard many people say is you have to have food on you all the time. You have to carry some food. Not always. You have to have some sort of reinforcer, but it doesn't have to be food. But doesn't a shock collar trainer have to carry a remote tool with them? Correct. I just, I'd much rather have food in my pocket to reinforce my dog with and something I'm going to cause that would cause pain to them. There are times where a guest opens the front door and a dog darts out. Someone might not have their remote handy and the collar mm -hmm. on and which dog is going to have that basis. And I completely agree with you. I don't come from a place of judgment. I think all of us do no, the yeah. best we know and Absolutely. the best with the information we have. Yes, without yeah. a doubt. I Before I learned, and of course, you know this from having read my book, because I talk a little bit about my journey. I trained my dogs in my home with all aversive techniques, and I just mm -hmm. didn't know that there was a different option. Yes. And so we all only do what we know uh, will work. And it worked. I will never argue that using aversives and training don't work because they do. Mm -hmm. But wow, I just really want my dog to really work to attain. And I want to see the joy in my dog's eyes yes. when they're learning, because I saw the other look in my dog's eyes when I use different techniques. And I really like what I see now much better. Wonderful. I see the differences between doodles that I work with that have been trained both ways. And oftentimes those who have been trained with aversive look fearful of making a mistake. 
because a lot mm-hmm. of times they don't know why is that yank coming? Why is the prong coming? Why is the shock coming? And if somebody does tell you that it doesn't hurt, then it wouldn't work. So yeah, exactly. if it wasn't uncomfortable or it didn't add pain, they wouldn't respond. Just something to think about. If it doesn't work without that collar on, then it means that there's pain added. And I love that there is the step-by-step method that you really outlined so people can feel more confident about teaching this life-saving skill to their dog while still maintaining that relationship. And if a dog sees something that really gets them over threshold, be it their prey drive or they have fear of something, their adrenaline goes so high that many don't feel the pain, which is a drawback from some of these aversives that you'll see dogs who will override an electronic fence and mm-hmm. run past it for the bunny or for something they're running away from. And then and they come back in. Exactly. Because then the adrenaline has come down and they're getting shocked from trying to return to their home. So just some things to think about. And it, Lisa and I agree that we do the best we know. And we're just sharing this information so people have more background as they make their choices and try to do the best Mm -hmm. with their doodles. Um, We're going to go over together in more detail your 12 rules of creating a rock solid recall in episode two. So we'll give more details onto that. But I know that you have a free gift for our listeners. And do you happen to know that link of where they could go. I'll also put it in the show notes. They could get uh, your um, free gift. Yes. It's longer than I can remember. That's okay. Tell them what it's I, about. Yes. Yeah, so the free gift is the 12 rules of rocket recall. Yes. So it gives you a synopsis and 12 steps of things to think about mm-hmm. and to do, and also some things to refrain from doing so that it sets both you and your dog up for success in order to get that turn on a dime and rock solid recall back to you. Excellent. I'll have that information in our show notes so that listeners can find that. And if you'd like to hear Lisa talk through the 12 steps with more detail and explain them better, join us for episode two, part two of this interview. Thank you, Lisa. Is there anything you want to add to our listeners? I would just say, Thank you for listening and thank you for being interested in recall. I do believe it is a skill that every single dog needs to learn and it's simple, but you have to practice. I did a Facebook post this morning and showed a picture of Keaton. It wasn't a video, but a picture of him writing to me and he was blazing toward me. But I will tell you, his recall isn't always that fast. So we're working on that. I do want my dogs to have speed returning to me. But that can take some time. But guess what? It's practice that helps make that possible. I don't want it to be perfect because I don't think there is ever perfection in our world. But if you practice, it's going to be possible. So follow through in small little steps every day. Doesn't take a lot of time every day. Just initiate five different steps during your day, the Mm -hmm. what's in my book, and you're going to make progress getting there. Remind us how old Keaton is now. Keaton is 14 weeks old today. 
Oh, that's wonderful to picture him blazing towards you. That's great. And you do talk about in your book, if you have an adult dog that you've worked on many of these steps of reinforcing their recall and you have that basis, that it can fade without practice. And I love that you identify regular part of your day moments that you can use to reinforce. It's those everyday moments in life where you can quickly get one reinforcer in for something that your dog does that you like that helps keep that behavior strong. If we don't practice, you know, I give the example in my book. I used to be a great mandolin player. I haven't practiced a lot lately. I've lost that skill. Yeah. Practice makes possible. I love it. If you're interested in learning more about creating a rocket recall, I recommend that you grab her wonderful book. I know it's on Amazon and all major booksellers and congratulations because I saw it was like top 10 chart on animal training books on Amazon. I'm very excited that it's done so well. And I had a wonderful group of people who helped me put the book together. So thank you so much. It's also available now at dogwise.com. Great. And also with Mingo Books in Canada. So fantastic. um, Please visit those resellers and help yourself to my book. I hope it will make a difference in your life and in your dog's life. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Doodle Pro Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And I invite you to follow me on Instagram at the Doodle Pro for behind the scenes peeks at all of the adorable doodles I work with daily.